And welcome once again to Fine Beats and Cheeses, the podcast that would be very happy to be on the side of a bus. My name is Leslie Gray Streeter. I am the columnist, a columnist for the Baltimore Banner. I am an author, a Sex in the City uh, historian, and uh, love hate watcher of And Just Like That. And I am joined by my co-host. What is your name, ma'am? Uh, my name is Lynn Streeter Childress. I make are we twins? I believe we are. Okay, well, just checking. That yeah, that's just you. checking. I believe okay. we are. Um, okay. <laughs> I make theater for young audiences. And I've been rocking with Kim Cattrall since uh, Mannequin. That's all I have to say. Not Big Trouble in Little China? Yeah, but it was Mannequin. Probably also because it had Andrew McCarthy in it. And I was in love with him at that point. So, yeah. And also Jane Spader as a scumbag. What a shock. Anyway. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. Anyway. We have a very special guest today. Guest, can you introduce yourself? I can try. Uh, my name is Jennifer Inglis. I am a writer, uh, aspiring comedy writer, author, and uh, I have, have two novels out and about in the world, uh, Girls Who Wear Glasses, which is a rom-com uh, featuring a plus-size protagonist, and Enchanting Sarah Greenberg, which is... Uh, kind of urban fantasy, magical real, uh, realism, again, featuring a middle-aged heroine uh, with a diverse, quirky cast of characters, uh, both of which I'm very proud of. Yes, both of which are fabulous. And the, oh, Sarah Greenberg, she just like can do magic. So of course, in my head, I've been going, she can do magic, which of course is, we're all the, the same age, we're about the same age. So that like anything that sounds like a Gen X kind of, Thing, it's an earworm now so i blame that on you but um <laughs> it's it's interesting because particularly uh girls who wear glasses is a rom-com and it ties into what we're talking about today which is jennifer can you tell us and just like that yes and sex in the city yes. it's all the same thing <laughs> it is all the same thing and it's so for those of you who've been hiding under a rock um or just didn't want to know about it <laughs> um, if you're if you're listening to it, I'm sorry. Now is the time that you have to. Um, Sex is a, a very prolific television show um, on HBO now on Max. Like HBO, like they took the HBO mat off the Max part. Like we wouldn't know it was them. We see you. We see you. Um, but it was a show uh, starring Sarah Jessica Parker and several other women, um, set beginning in the late '90s in New York about a group of women dating and how the sex part of it the city is new york and the sex part is about how important should sex be how soon should you have sex should your relationship only be sex should you have sex at all what does that mean in terms of power balances or aging or cancer or any of these other things and it started out sort of this like very urbane kind of Noel Coward-esque, you know, observation about these urban um, and good-looking and very white, let's be honest, lives um, of thin people um, <laughs> in New York who have money, who are always on the right list, who always are out every night, you know, having cosmopolitans and meeting guys. It's so funny because every episode in the first season, you recognize one of the guys and go now isn't he the dad on fill in the blank because that's how old we are but um it's just it's something that i always identify with i go through 
every time I rewatch it, I get something different out of it as I get older. And it's just, it's really iconic in both, I think, good and bad ways. Um, Jennifer, why did you want to talk about this? Well, first of all, I love, I love the show. I mean, I think it's very meaningful to those of us of a certain age who were basically the age of the characters uh, during the show, you know, give give or take a few years. Um, but for me, it opened up a world, a fictional world that I had never seen before. Hmm. You know, I'm from Chicago, you know, I and not even in Chicago, like <laughs> near Chicago. I'm Chicago right. adjacent. There you go. And uh, it was just an amazing that these women are out there. They have jobs. They have money. They uh, live fabulous lives. They meet all these men. Where are all these men they're meeting? Where are all these men? Who, who they just can see once and they find one little thing wrong. And go, but it was fascinating. <laughs> the thing that drew me to the show, which I didn't start watching, honestly, till I heard John Corbett was going to be on it. Oh. I didn't have HBO. So I said, oh, I got to get HBO because, you know, Chris in the morning from Northern Exposure. Oh, Chris Fine. in the morning. Fine. Heavy sigh. Um, so beautiful. But the, the most important thing about that show to me was the friendship between mm, yes. the four women. Um, I've never really had that. I, you know, I've never really had that core group of friends that you, that you see regularly, that you touch, that you touch base with regularly. So that's what I was most fascinated about. The men were fine and fun and I liked the shoes, but it was, it was the friendship that really got to me. And I love, I love shows that show all aspects of, um, friendship, especially female friendship. Yeah. What did you find was the thing the common denominator because th they were very different women mm -hmm. um in in age and background and it's it's a show that does not spend a lot of time talking about where they're from yeah you know or even i think after the first season they didn't even really mention any family members or anything it's just like they were the core of the show what do you think the common denominator was that kept these women in that show so realistically friends that's a good question uh, my first uh, pithy response would be because plot. Yes. Uh, um, in contracts. You know, in, in reality, I think there's combinations that wouldn't have worked on their own. Mm -hmm. Like Charlotte and Samantha in on their own. Would never be friends. No, but within the context of the group, they're okay. Right. I think, you know, uh, the, I think the core friendship was uh, Carrie and uh, Miranda. Yes. And yes. then the other two were originally, I think, a little uh, not parallel. Yeah, they were kind of in the circle and then they all just kind of bonded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, they were all in the same place in their lives. Uh, you know, maybe Samantha had her own thing going, but they were mm -hmm. all the same age, uh, you know, working. And but at their core, they all really wanted to find love. Mm -hmm. And I think Miranda did, too. She just wasn't always willing to admit it. Yes. But I think that's the core thing. And that's what that's why that's what their lunch dates were mostly talking about this guy or I, I, I is this OK? How do I feel about this? He did this. So I think they they were the ground zero, pardon the term, for each other in me, their hunt. Let me ask you something. Lynn and I talk about this because obviously I've talked about her, about pop culture with her longer than anybody except possibly for uh sam's wife nikki who we've literally known our whole lives but um 
there's something about Sex and the City. When you ask people what one of the defining episodes of that show was, it corresponds to another show that was big at the time that had been on about four or five years at that time, which was Friends. And it was about mm. money. It was about the episode on Friends was the first season where yeah. they realized when they went out to dinner that suddenly some of them made more money than the others and they couldn't just go, hey, we're all going to go split a check because three of them are like, I'll have water and toast. Right. <laughs> and the bread that they bought to the table. And in Sex and the City, years later, uh, Charlotte, who you, you know was a, she wasn't like filthy rich, but she came from money. She went to private schools, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And she marries a very rich old New York guy, gets divorced, um, and still has retained the tens of thousands of dollars worth of ring and carrie who has been can canonically very bad with money has to either move out of her apartment or buy it and she doesn't she's broken up with a boyfriend doesn't have the money anymore to buy it and basically asks charlotte why she didn't offer to give her the money for the ring which was like oh, what um all that to say is it what did that moment say to you about what adult friendship is and how in sort of the specter of of that of, of those that relationship specifically the two of them okay by the way you don't know Char carrie is like this free-spirited writer um and charlotte is a art dealer she works in a gallery but she basically she loves working in the gallery also she would like to be married to somebody very rich and she did and then it didn't really work out yeah very very uh very uh waspy uh, to yeah. use a term we I used to like to use, uh, no longer <laughs> do, uh, since I'm sort of half wasp myself. Um, um, I know that's very off brand for me, but um, yeah, it that's I think in your late 20s, early 30s is really when money starts to come into play. Yeah, because some people have made a little more progress in their career, and some people. Have it. I mean, Carrie's made excellent progress, but she hasn't set a financial foundation for herself. No. So she's in a place where, okay, Charlotte, we're best friends. You have this, you're sitting on this extra money. You don't need it. I realize that I'm the grasshopper and haven't planned, yeah. you know, all summer, uh, but why <laughs> won't you do this for me? And I think Charlotte, very rightly so. Very rightly so. Uh, says no. Yes. No, I it, and you know, she's like, I could give this to you, but it's gonna it's gonna put a little little check mark on our friendship. Yes, and it's not my fault that you don't yeah. have any money. And I ask that because when one of the things about the show that you have to remind yourself when you watch it, like I said, is that the fantasy isn't just the men; it's the amount of money that is spent. Is that they are yeah. at dinner every night and that they're buying all these shoes and that they are yeah. able to do these things like besides not being model thin and living in New York I also did not have I had disposable income for where I worked where I lived which was York <laughs> Pennsylvania um which was very cheap and I was one of the cutest yeah. girls in York Pennsylvania um and well that kind of thing but so it was not the same and so the fantasy element is it wasn't just you had to pretend that not only could they meet all of these different guys every night, but that they could afford to live this life. And also in the beginning, no one had kids and no right. one was married right. and no one had to, you know, make adjustments for babysitters and 
that kind of thing. That's yeah, I don't. I was oh, going to say, Carrie, I know Carrie's, I'm, I'm sorry, Lynn. I, I, I know Carrie's apartment was rent controlled because that was, that was the whole deal when mm -hmm. she was looking for another place. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, I pay $700 for this. <laughs> I mean, even, even in the year 2000, $700 would get you like a shoebox, oh, like yeah. a literal shoebox. A little shoebox. Yeah. To, with to like one wear, shoe. With one shoe to wear on your head. <laughs> um, you might not even get the one shoe. Yeah, Exactly. You have to pay extra for that. There's an extra deposit. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, so I think that's how she managed it. But, you know, she was a columnist for not the top paper in the city. Even maxing out her credit cards. How did she buy all those shoes? You know, that just that boggled my mind. And I was like, who keeps giving her credit? Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it wasn't about that stuff, but it's like, who is the bank? like a good credit risk let's keep this up okay yeah so and i will say this i i don't know if as an adult i've actually ever had hbo and so what i realized about me and my knowledge of sex in the city is that a lot of it was watching it at leslie's house uh or watching it or just because it was such a cultural thing they would have recaps of it you know, online on, yeah. on stuff. And so I almost read it like a spectator. I had to really realize I didn't really watch the show a lot, yeah. but I knew what was happening and I knew who the characters were and all this right. stuff because in between the times that I actually watched it with my eyes, I was reading about it. I haven't watched any of, and just like that. Um, so. Oh, you should. That's what I've heard. I I'm I'm very interested in things that start in one place and end in another year wise, and you're sort of seeing how people are um, are adjusting and what's happened to them. And I know I'll say this um, later in the conversation is I know that there's been some retconning in terms of things that yeah. they are saying about characters that don't quite line up with the origins of ways that some things are earlier in the original series. But I'll just say I under but I did identify with the whole how are these people doing all of this stuff? Like as as opposed to like friends, I mean they drank coffee every day. I mean one of right. them worked in the coffee shop. But they sit there and drink coffee. But I think of like Living Single, which is one of my favorite shows. They hung out in their house. Right. Right. Oh, I remember that. I used to like that. And I was used to think to myself, why isn't this more popular than it is? I well, would, there were, I thought it was like a, the superior show. It is a superior show. Well, and there's the, yeah. the belief. It's true that I guess Warren Littlefield, who was the head of NBC, was asked, in like 93, if he could have any show of his on his network, what would it be? And he said, living single, and then Friends showed up the next year. And so the yeah. the basic idea is that Friends was based on that. I mean, even some of the episodes, they've done a thing like on Twitter, you know, people don't have any time to do anything but deep dive, where there were identical episodes almost of mm. things that happened on Living Single that then happened on Friends, but it got the the majority of the viewers and the everything. 
Yeah, it's and that's and that's a shame. I I what didn't watch it every single week, every right. single season, but whenever I did, because I liked Kim, I was always a fan of Kim Fields. Love her. Yeah, she'll. I I she she would hate this, but she's Tootie. She's Tootie. She and Natalie were two of my best friends growing mm. up. So, you know, I love Kim Fields and Kim Coles. I had seen as a stand-up comic. Yes, I thought she was very funny. Hilarious. And I got to know Queen Latifah, who I still think is awesome. She's the best. Um. You know, she's a woman who, when she enters a room, you know it. Oh yeah, I would imagine the you best know, hair the ever. Yeah, and I loved, and I. It, you want to know how long it took me to catch on that Kim Fields wore wigs? I just thought they had just the most amazing hairdresser. Right, right. Sometimes Beijing would have short hair, another time, yeah, and then a the big, next a big up up to and and she have a ponytail and the whole yeah situation until um, a friend of mine clued me and she went Jen oh and then you feel better about yourself like well obviously i could never have done that anyway no no i mean i would i would never have great hair like that and and with the styling options and i'm just like okay all right i feel a little bit better she knows what she's doing she's got it exactly but you know but it was a good show it was a great show but we were talking about like the different things that were happening supposedly of young New York people all at the same time yeah. and how living single hung out in their house, <laughs> you know, and right. everyone else was like going out all the time, sort of from the guess in between being at Central Park every night and then up to Sex in the City with them going out to lunch all the time. And out to clubs. I mean, literally in the first episode, Carrie talks about, well, like, someone says to her first, second episode, so what are you up to? And she goes, oh, you mean besides going out every night? And I just, I guess that's one of the differences between me now and me then, because then going out every night seemed really, or at least every other night seemed really attractive. That was part of what I liked was the, that there were all these bars opening up in this land and you could just, you had a different one every night. And if that restaurant closed, that's okay. Cause by the time you worked your way back around, a new one was opening and could always be at this neat stuff and it was always new and so I always said that I could not afford to live in New York the way that I would want to live in New York which is the way that I live in New York when I go on vacation which is we're out to dinner and we're you know doing stuff although now when I go with my son who just turned 10 we stay with friends so we don't have to pay for a hotel we spend too much money on food but also then we go to a bunch of museums that you know our friends are in our members in we don't have to pay for and then usually we drink a significant amount, but we're sitting eating Indian food in their house and everybody falls asleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that works. It, my my family's originally from New York and my uh, my aunt spent her adult life, you know, as a lawyer on the Upper West Side. Oh, awesome. And uh, so believe me when I say that I would love to live in New York, but only if I had money. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's a little hard scrabble. Well, and, well, and that's... And I- and go ahead. I was gonna say, and I think it's attractive when you're younger. Like I was supposed oh. to, I'm an actor. And so I was supposed to live in New York. I had a roommate picked out. Um, I mean, I was gonna um uh co co what's the word? Sublease somebody's apartment, a friend of mine who I'd done theater with in the DC area, and um I had a job at Kinder, what's it? Uh, Jimbury. Jimbury. Thank you. Why can't I remember? Um, and I was going to be um, managing books and whatever and blah, blah, blah. But then I realized I was not going to be able, based on what I made, I wasn't going to be able to go to auditions. That's the whole point of living there. But that 
But in but at 29, the idea of sleeping on somebody's couch doesn't seem as egregious as it would now at 52, because mm-hmm. I was in that life and it was it was attractive to, you know, oh, we're eating, you know, whatever you're eating. I, in college, I used to get a big bag of potatoes and really eat it for a week. And that was like my dinner. We're eating ramen every night. He, he, he. It's, aren't yeah. we cute and quirky? By the way, Lynn, I got to tell you, I was, I have a degree in theater and I was, uh, I, I worked semi-professionally in the Chicago area. And I also was a, a, a middle school drama teacher for six years. <laughs> so uh, I think off air, we'd have a, a, we lot, would. Of, a lot of yeah. war stories to discuss. Yeah, absolutely would. It's funny. I my I too had an, op- an opportunity. Um, when my son and I, my mom, um, at the, who was living with us at the time, moved from Florida back up north, we had looked everywhere. I was mostly looking in Maryland, but I was like, let's look in New York. You know, if this if we're gonna do it, time to do it. Obviously, it would be different because I had you know the small child. He was seven at the time, and we were almost. He was six, going on seven. And I was like, okay, so what we're gonna have to do is like, look, at that point I could have afforded, kind of afforded a two bedroom place in Harlem, but it would have been, oh, East Harlem, but no, I couldn't do that now, but it would be the starting rates are twice as much as I pay for my mortgage, you know? And then I would be, you know, I wouldn't need a car and I wouldn't need insurance, but I would need, you know, to get used to being on the subway all the time. And as Lynn knows, I am not a person who likes to wait. I want to be able to jump in my car and leave and go home. I don't like waiting for nobody. And it's just a different kind of thing. And I think that even though we, every time we go to New York, my son goes, oh, I wish we lived here. I'm like, but you don't, you really don't. Um, We go, you know, once a year at least, and he gets to be doted on. And once again, he gets to live the 10-year-old version of the Sex and the City thing where it's always fabulous. There's always stuff to do. People are making, oh, we're going here. We're going there. There's stuff to see. And they buy you a gift, and it's really great. Um, But it's not the same. Did you ever, back when the show was on, they had these T-shirts and stuff that said, I'm a Miranda, I'm a Carrie, I'm a Samantha, I'm a Charlotte. And I, who I am <laughs> or would be has changed. Um, I think that was Miranda with Charlotte Rising or vice versa, Charlotte. Was good. And then for a while, I thought it was a carry because, you know, we both were columnists. And I used to, I wrote a column in the Palm Beach Post called That Girl, which my editor used to call Sex in No City, No, no Sex in the City. Because it was just about me going out with my girlfriends and, you know, this new place opened up, whatever. And I would refer to like having a date or whatever, but it was never like, let's talk about anal, you know, like Carrie does. No, that's a, that was an episode. Oh, like, I remember what? that. I, I just watched that a few weeks ago. I watched the, the whole original series yes. and both of the movies. And then I rewatched and the just new like, series. So, sorry. yeah. So, you know, it was big at the time. Do you remember what a big deal that was? It was. It was. And it just it's so funny because for a show, let's be honest, for a show about sex and for a columnist who wrote about sex, Carrie was very prudish. Yeah, she really was. And very not super open minded. She was freaked out by the fact that her boyfriend was bisexual. Yes. Now, I realize this is like the year 2000. Yes. But still, we all knew they, you know, we all knew people existed. 
And so then the she gets she gets to kiss Alanis Morissette. I'm like, what are we complaining about? Yeah, exactly. What I'm a straight woman and I'd kiss Alanis Morissette. Yeah, exactly. I, I gotta tell you, um, at least once, <laughs> see what that was about. Um, <laughs> why not? So the fact that she's very weird about um and it gets worse because like the very the first couple episodes, there's a scene where um she has this kind of you're trashy as she calls her friend who oh. amalia who comes into town and she's always staying with a at a fancy hotel with a boyfriend or new boy a european boyfriend even though she has an apartment and she invites carrie out to meet one of her boyfriend's friends Gilles um lynn who was played by the guy that played um adam on another world thank you thank you I couldn't uh, figure out where I'd seen him before. If you yeah. looked, you would know who I was talking about. Okay. Right? Anyway, so um, she, in a very bad French accent. So she has mentioned to him that she's having trouble paying her bills. And she sleeps with him, wakes up, and there's $1,000 in a card next to the bed. And she decides, you know, this is not a thing that she is interested in pursuing being a woman who has sex with weird European guys or like she gets invited to like go to Morocco or something with the next European guy that she meets and she decides, but that's not an ew judgmental thing. It's just like, you know, it's tempting, but that's not my life. No, thank you. And for a person that, like I said, writes about sex and is much more um, in the first several episodes, particularly in the pilot, much more open about a lot of these things is you about so much stuff. And I'm like, why do you have that job, man? Because I don't think yeah, I could it, have that job. And I'm like, why do you have that job? Yeah. How did she how did she get that? How did she land that? How did she know? How did they know to hire her for that? Exactly. How much do you how big? What is the importance of sex? We were talking about it, but in terms of like the scope of the show, particularly the reboot where they're all older, although still having sex, what <laughs> what's the function of the sex part of the title in terms of the entire series and how important it is? You know, I was listening to the podcast of uh, the writer's room and just mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. uh, which is really interesting. I, I recommend it if you, you get a chance. To, uh, it's um, Michael Patrick King and a couple of the writers and producers. And one thing that uh, Patrick Michael Patrick King said about the sex in the show was that it was it was not meant to be titillating or pornographic. It was mostly done for comic effect. Huh. And looking back at it, I heard that and I started watching it with that critical eye. And a lot of the scenes, a lot of the sex scenes are actually quite funny. Very funny. And so they they never they never set out to do something that was very, you know, outre or uh, very, you know, we're not talking uh, Red Shoe Diaries here. I was no. totally going to say Red Shoe Diaries. Which is right. so embarrassing. I hope somebody wants to talk about that one day. I'm not watching it again. But um, yeah, I did. But but that's what it would is. I think it's important, but only in the fact that, you know, they're kind of testing the waters. Is is this love or is this just sex? And mm -hmm. how does it relate? And how how does how does sex factor into finding what we all yes. and it's it's the equivalent of kissing a lot of frogs. The very first episode. 
very first episode is about having sex like a man and what that means. Oh yeah, and uh, they okay. yeah and 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 they all think they can do it. So uh, what does that mean? What what were they? What did they decide having sex like a man meant? Meant oh, just with no emotional attachment. Okay. Just hello, how are you? Let's go. They sleep together and then they're out, M- much like a sporting event. And Samantha did that anyway, which right. I always thought that was a, she was a very forward thinking character. I don't remember, you know, I don't remember a, a female character like that previous to her. So it was really just it was recreation. It was fun. She enjoyed it. Um, but the other women were always attaching relationships to it. And they decided, well, men don't do this. Men don't do a post postmortem on every single encounter that they have, I'm assuming. Um, so I think what they were trying to do is just up, play up that aspect of their lives without that emotional attachment. Right. You know, not, not constantly getting hurt or, oh, is this the one? Is this one? No, I'm just going to meet. I'm going to have a little fun with this guy and move on my merry way. And of course, Samantha is like, yeah, yeah, do it. Do it. It's great. Because she was already there. Right, right, right. So... You know, it's it's conflating uh, sex with relationships, which is, I think, something a lot of women do, either to our credit or to our deficit. And did they find out, I said, you said that was like the, was that the first episode, did they find out that that was something that they weren't able to do? No, I don't think so. I mean, it was about a month ago that I watched it and my attention span is like a betta fish. <laughs> um especially you know especially now at my age I don't remember anything Um, I'm pretty sure I had breakfast I'm not sure Um, yeah I think that it just really wasn't for them that they weren't able to separate the emotional from the physical like no matter what there's always going to be a little a little attachment yeah so I not for them not for them and Samantha's like okay more for me (laughs) which I thought was pretty cool that, so with the new series and just like that, is this the third season? We just finished the second. 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 Okay. Um, so it's Charlotte, Carrie, and Miranda. Yes. I know that Samantha made a cameo in this season. In yeah, the, last the last episode. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's mostly the three of them and, and they're new friends of color yes finally yes. finally and i have i have to admit when i watched it the first time that was not on my radar i kind of went well okay i know new york is a very diverse city you know having spent time there where are all the other people yes. and, and what i even noticed is that until charlotte converted there really weren't any jews in their world either mm-hmm. which is wild it's new york it's the Upper West, well, most Upper West or Upper East Side. And I'm like, you know, that was that was my first thought because self-centeredly, you know, you mm-hmm. look for, look for, and then sure. I realized this is very homogenous, isn't it? And to then put it delicately. Towards the end, like Samantha dates a character played by Sonia Braga, who is both Latina and a woman. So yeah. that's different. And then Miranda dates Blair Underwood. It's so funny. At Lynn, I always joke, that they're every the black actor who is cast in everything to telegraph is this is the most attractive man in the world. Currently, it's Michael Ely, 
um or oh, hoochie yeah. face from um grace anatomy oh jesse um was williams yes but for a very long time that man was blair underwood and he worked constantly as a perfect man in the world and he dates miranda's character um he's a doctor for the knicks Time and out. leslie move your yeah. microphone again and also okay. i feel confident a little further you're still try that hey better and also okay, sorry yeah i, I moved like, it i feel like the word hoochie face probably has a meaning already hoochie face like who who's that guy hoochie face it's a it's a my mother thing it's a it's a okay. tina streeter thing the microphone's still doing the thing oh, Jesus. Well, how's that perfect perfect i will not touch it i had to take it off my editor was yeah. <laughs> asking me in my real job to do some things so i had to do it. anyway so um there they made a point in the last in the last several seasons to include some people of color but they were always they were always love interests never uh a friend and then there was that disastrous episode in sort of like the early to mid part of the series where samantha dates this black guy whose sister is a chef and it is the most cringy terrible it's like i didn't want them to ever write about race ever again she dates this guy and his sister has an issue with it because she clocks samantha as a sexual adventurer which is nothing wrong with that if you admit it and so samantha is lecturing this woman about race and i'm like i'm going to scream i think at that yeah. at this time of my life that would be the last episode i ever watched i would be yeah. like you know what y'all don't get this i'm out so yeah. to have this group, first of all, to understand that not only has New York changed, but that the tolerance of any show to have an all-white cast is yeah. gone. And yeah, it's not realistic. It's not realistic, and it's not. It's it's it it just doesn't show reality. And so mm -hmm. it would it would they might as well have angel wings on. Yes, I, because I would, can I can I yes. But I think it too, though, I think it's realistic that people might have all homogenous friend groups because sure. because that happens because it does. But sure. what, but what's weird is that you don't see anybody else out in the street they're yes. working with. Right. That, that's that yeah. was the sort of the weirdest because people yeah. say that, too, about like you know, like living single, it was, it was, you know, all black major cast, but they worked with white people. They yeah. Yeah. at the law firm. Out, you know. right? And so that was the thing is that the same thing with Seinfeld. It's like, not just was their immediate world all right, right fine, but it was that you didn't see anybody else hardly yeah. anywhere. And when you did, yeah. they were caricatures and it, it 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 was that old, you know, when you were talking earlier about all these people who were young but had money to go out all the time and live in New York, but you kind of decide that, well, maybe my life should look like that and I should mm -hmm. be going out like this and I should be doing those things. You look at worlds on television and movies that are homogenous, and I will speak to the ones that are predominantly white. So then you, when you see Black people doing stuff, you're like, oh, that's so weird that you go out to dinner. That's so weird that you go on vacation and you live in certain places and you actually are a doctor or whatever because you yeah. don't see it. Right. Well, and because the most 
that a lot of white people see people who are not white is on TV and stuff. So they don't get it. Um, it was so funny. My my best friend sent me the one who's not his wife. The other one um, sent me a very at first heartwarming, but then kind of cringy. If you think about it, um, clip from Facebook or Instagram, or whatever that says um, it's asking white people to say something positive about black people. And she noted something. She noted that the people who probably consider themselves allies, who are the upper middle class educated ones, they talked about stuff like, look at all the music that they, that black people have contributed to. And black men are always so well-dressed and smell so good, literally. And oh, your Lord. food is so great. Yeah. Some of that, but the lower, the first guy who is this like country redneck dude from Georgia talks about being raised in the seventies in public housing in Georgia and all of his neighbors, most of his neighbors were black and about how they all respected each other. And now his aunties and cousins and play sisters and all that thing are black. And because he actually knows black people because poor people tend to live in the same place where they want to or not. So poor people are much more likely, particularly in the South to interact with each other. So those people in the North oh, racial lines of across racial lines, people in the North who were much less likely to do that, have this very esoteric and they think intellectual and enlightened idea of what other people are, but they don't actually know them. They don't actually go to school yeah. with them or work with them, which is why on Sex in the City, like for instance, I was very cynical. It's like each of them was assigned a non-white friend. Um, but it's true that it's stuff that now you would see more that Carrie becomes friends with a um, non-binary uh, character named Che, who is a um, a comedian because they work together on a podcast and um, Charlotte becomes friends with this incredible, fabulous mom because she's rich and her husband's rich and they go, their kids are in the, at the same school and she is, and that is less likely to have happened in 2000, yeah. even though they would yeah. have been there. It is more likely to have that now um, or to have like Seema, who is just amazing, who is uh, Carrie's realtor, who is Persian, um, who and uh, missing somebody. Oh, and Nia, uh, who is Charlotte. Uh, she and Miranda are both lawyers and she's a law professor. And Miranda's taking this class and she sits and this black woman comes in and sits at the front. And Miranda, because of her Miranda-ness says oh that's for the professor and she goes i am the professor and it's super awkward yeah I, I literally just watched that episode last night again for the third seventh time and it's just yes. like every neurosis that you know uh you know people who consider themselves white allies yes every neurosis that we may carry uh came out in that moment and and you just want to look at her and go miranda stop talking because well, she keeps she, she keeps making she it keeps worse. digging well and but I think though the honesty of that moment is once again if you are used to and I think also that was saying to people watching the show your sex in the city doesn't have anybody who's not white in it Moran you think you're a good nice person but right. that's the life that you were comfortable watching for all this time Miranda right. is used to that life there's a scene when Miranda gets married and she and Steve have the baby and decide to move to Brooklyn. 
which she thinks is like moving to the gulag, you know? So she, and this, I remember this line because it pissed me off so bad. They're in an, a gentrifying section, which means they are taking the stuff away from the black and Latino people who used to live there. And she and Magda, um, played by the late great Lynn Cohen, who is her uh, housekeeper and nanny, are walking through looking for houses and she points and she goes, white guy with a baby. Like, we want to be yeah. where he is. And I thought, well, F you, you know, yeah. because she knows what that means is that yeah. this guy's a gentrifier and she only wants to live a, because she's going to be living around other white people in the midst of this, not upper class, not white area, but also she knows her property value is going to go up and she's not going to have to worry about what happens to the other people. Yeah. Who used to live there and i thought they told on themselves without even realizing they were telling themselves they told a truth about that person without understanding how insulting that was then the funny thing is i think that was from the movie when uh, after yeah not that it matters but after cheat uh steve cheated yes and she buys and then she was looking for a place to live yes And, and that was like 2008 and and i'm like at that point in time the writer should have known better there I, there was like no excuse for that well you i know, mean the white guy with a baby white guy with a baby and i'm just like it, they, when i went to see it with some friends you could hear an intake of breath yes in the movie theater you know just like everybody just went Ooh. and the yeah. second movie which i like not to think about and like to pretend that it never <laughs> happened because that was they go to dubai abu dhabi yes i think yeah and they go and it's one of those things of like Lena, like you said you know why are they going plot why are they going somebody let them film there and they go and they're staying in this huge um real this huge like villa and it's all expenses paid and whatever and samantha immediately starts sexually objectifying the men there and then there's three moments where you go nobody showed anybody outside the room the script it was that thing <laughs> when she refers to an arab man as lawrence of my labia yes palm yes and then she gets upset that she's basically doing a lauren bobert <clears throat> uh in public at a restaurant <laughs> With this guy, and she gets arrested for public indecency, and she wants to read them in the riot act. It's like you couldn't do that in Manhattan. You couldn't, yeah. like, give a handy to a dude. Pardon me, people. With, you know, you couldn't do that. You get arrested there too. But then they go and they sing, "I am woman, hear me roar." In 2010, <laughs> at a karaoke bar, and all of these young, beautiful women who are Arabic clap like they would know that song like that song would ever be on a karaoke list yeah in 2000 whatever and they're like oh look at us being famous it was so grossly uh, like just I, I'm not, I don't like the term tone deaf but it was so like nobody was listening and there's a scene where and I'm a single mother so we're Miranda and Charlotte who are very rich white women who are staying in this unbelievably rich place being waited on by brown people um so Charlotte believes that her husband is attracted to their nanny and we find out later that he of course she's not attracted to him she's gay but she's having this issue and she can't do enough 
you know, she has uh, two daughters now and everything's blown up her face. And Miranda is trying to balance, you know, her uh, then marriage and her career and her son. And she says, basically, they decide to give a toast to women who don't have help. Like, that's like their big uh, magnanimous thing. How do you do it to the women without help? I'm like, without help? How about the women who like can't pay their rent? Like you're going, oh yes, because what these really want, what these women want is appreciation from these rich white women, you know, sipping martinis they didn't pay for. It was just so yeah. Bleh. Yeah, I think I know what they're going with that. I think yes. their intentions were good, but it fell flat. It was like the whole movie was written by AI. <laughs> And they were given a couple of People magazine articles to call from and then told the AI to write a Sex in the City movie. Okay, yeah, because funny. because somebody said you should talk of they should recognize their wealth, but recognize their, privilege, their wealth yeah. and their privilege in that moment was very let them eat cake. It was very much like uh, when we were 16, Lynn and Sam's wife, Nikki, and I were part of a school trip where we went to Versailles. And they go, oh, and the you know Marie Antoinette used to pretend to be a milkmaid and come out here with her ladies in waiting and pretend to be poor for two hours. And they go back and you know drink you know champagne from a peasant's ear or something, whatever it was, <laughs> um, because it wasn't real to them. It wasn't. Yeah. It was a thing they were putting on. And I say this, and people go, "You like the show?" I did like the show. I like the show because even. I don't like I said, I don't think I would have gotten into it now if the show was as homogenous. Yeah. You know, now. But I, I think that I like the friendship part. I liked um that Carrie, who is the celebrated writer, still loses herself in men and she still loses herself in bad relationships. Um there's a a scene where towards the end of the series where she realizes that she because you guys are the love of the loves of my life. Mm. yeah that and, was one of the best lines you know one of the and best lines my sister and nikki and my college friends and my friend melanie they are the love of my life. scott was a love of my life and he was the platonic dude love of my life but these people you know who see you like on the show through cancer and through miscarriages there's a heartbreaking ugh, when Charlotte, who he marries, the best dude in the world, um, has a miscarriage. All she's wanted to do is has kids. And she's been invited to Brady, Miranda's son's birthday party. And she's like, I can't do it. I can't go and be happy around people with babies. And Miranda, of course, understands. She goes, absolutely. And we'll call Miranda never even wanted a kid. And she accidentally got pregnant. And she's like, it's not fair. She's like, I get it, whatever. So she has this moment where she's watching Elizabeth Taylor and her dog is named Elizabeth Taylor. Um, she's watching and she realized Elizabeth Taylor, the real one would have gotten up and gone in that moment. And she yeah. puts on this beautiful dress and walks across Central Park and she goes to the the party. And um, it was just like, that was for her friend, but also for herself. She needed to prove that she yeah. could do that. And it was just very, very lovely. I think what's really nice about the about the the new series is they almost in a way have seemed to embrace the fantasy aspect of it. Yes. That we are aware that we are watching incredibly wealthy yes. people in their world. And that's okay. That's yes. just their world. And I love the new characters that they've added. Uh, I'm I would watch Naya in her own show. Oh. 
because especially in first season, I really thought felt thought that uh, she and Andre Richard, oh. Richard were in their own show. They they were, and it seemed that way. Lynn, you haven't watched it, right? Nope. So um, it's Nia. Uh, it's the I'm forgetting her name. The character, the actress that's also on the morning Karen, show, Karen Pittman. Karen Pittman, and she plays this wonderful badass producer um on the morning show and so she wasn't in this season as much because she was shooting both at the same time okay yeah that's why she's not as much but she's this woman and they're both in their 40s and they're trying to she and her husband they're trying to have a baby but she thinks do i even really want a baby is that even what i want and that was one of those moments that you really think about you know, and it's a very another realistic thing because you know Carrie never had kids, never wanted them, never thought about it. It wasn't a thing. Miranda didn't want one, had one anyway. Charlotte always wanted one, adopted a child because she thought they could not get pregnant, and then got pregnant. So now she has two. And then you have like uh, Lisa, who is incredibly wealthy, who in this series, in the I sound like I'm British in the series in the season. Spoiler alert gets accidentally pregnant and like her i guess she's supposed to be late 40s early 50s and she winds up having a miscarriage um which they really and they really they never say the word abortion yeah because they go do you want to whatever and then she winds up having a but it's this children figure in your life is a different way because it's not about making your life it's about does it fit into the life that you already have um and it just or sima who has never wanted to get married has quite proud of the fact that she doesn't. She's very Samantha-like, but Except she's looking for love. She's and looking Samantha, for love, and Samantha was not. Yeah, but but otherwise, she's still very. You know, I'm not going to settle. Uh, you know, I'm not going to settle for less than I deserve. But I haven't found it yet. Uh, and every so often, they offer a little glimpse of how she really feels about it, and then yes. you know the walls go back up. Lynn, there's a there's a episode in the first season of the show where um, Carrie and Big finally get together and she does a thing where you disappear and you never call your friends and your friends never see you. Right. Fast forward 20 something years, she and Aiden are back together. And Seema, who was not around for the first, you know, iteration of Carrie and Aiden and never met Big. And so all of those people are people she doesn't know or really right. honestly care about that much. So when this guy comes back into her life, right before she he and Carrie get serious, she and Sam have talked about getting a house in the Hamptons together. So now she's dating Aiden, and suddenly it becomes, oh, he'll come too. And Carrie does that thing. She doesn't ask. She just invites because now she's so happy she's in her bubble. So Seema starts ignoring her and she's like putting off meeting him. So there's it, the scene is honestly iconic. I've watched it three times where there she runs into her at the hairdresser and she's basically trapped in the bowl. She can't get out. So she goes outside with wet hair for a cigarette. Seema does and her still in her smock. And she basically says to her, I can't do it. This I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for you and me together. I did not sign up for, to be the third wheel in my own vacation and that's not what i'm what we're doing here and because they didn't say that to carrie they were like they would talk about her behind her back or go oh we haven't seen you or joke about oh is your name carrie we miss you we've never met you before but for this person who doesn't isn't wrapped up in the mythology of aiden and what this means you just some dude that came in and crashed my vacation yeah and i'm not about it 
Yeah, she says, I could do it, but I don't want to. Meaning being the third wheel. Yes. That, that was just a, you know, get out the little banners and cheer moment. Because we've all been there. We've yes. absolutely all been there where it's like, yeah, I could come. Thank you for inviting me. I could come along. Uh, I don't, you know, a little Bartleby the Scrivener moment, a little literary <laughs> reference. I, I would prefer not to. I would I prefer, prefer not, not to. to. And because she doesn't have that long. And this is the lovely thing about making newer friends when you're older. She loves Carrie, but also she's not going to sit around for a friendship that doesn't suit her or serve her because she's not right. going, I have to be friends with you because we've been friends for 30 years or because we have this history. She's like, I was okay yesterday and I'd miss you. And it, it would hurt my feelings not to be friends with you. But if I have to be this person that accepts less than what I want as a requirement to be your friend, I don't need it. And I think that's something that's peculiar Particular, not peculiar, particular to and just like that, because yes. that's not something you would probably say at age 30 to your no. friends. But that is absolutely something you will say at age 50 to your friends. Yes. And you I think would, that's one. I, was, I think that's think, the, the, the progression is just it perfect. Yeah. You would think it at age 30. Yes. But you wouldn't say it. And right, you'd go back with your other friends and go, I don't know how to say that to her. I don't like her boyfriend. Although I will say my friend Melanie greatly disliked a boyfriend of mine in my late 20s and was like not super shy about it at all. Um, and I liked that, honestly, because he wasn't a great person. It wasn't right. wasn't jealousy. It wasn't whatever. It was that she did not care for the way that he treated me. Right. And, or spoke to me and they had a moment in my apartment she's like i'm doing her hair you have to go and i was like and yeah. he just took his little thing of rice aroni and walked out the door and she's like well, it's like that scene with uh miranda at that woman's apartment the woman went down to finish her laundry yes and and miranda's sitting there in that gorgeous gown oh my god on the phone with carrie going what do i do what do i do and i think carrie just says leave leave and, and it's like Miranda never thought about that. 35-year-old me would have stayed. 55-year-old me is out the door. And yeah. what's funny is Miranda is, and I, I had stepped out from it, so if we've already discussed this, let me know. Um, the evolution of Miranda in the second, in the, well, both seasons of the reboot is that she was initially, when you meet her in, the, in 1999 or whatever it was, she is a firecracker i know what i want she kind of intimidates men she's a corporate lawyer she's climbing the the ladder she has no real need to be in a relationship where she is not absolutely in charge and she gets married and has although you feel that she loves steve but he was never someone he was not her um economic or educational equal um she always thought i think she was a little beyond that she years later the child has grown up um, he's on his way to college and she has really not in, she loves him, but she does not really in love with him anymore. And she winds up falling for Che, who is um, played by Sarah Ramirez, who is Carrie's boss at the time. So she becomes a dithering idiot. And at first I was like, who is this person? But I thought she's acting like a 16 year old because she really is in this relationship. She's letting herself be vulnerable for the first time ever and she's letting herself be um silly and 
I don't like the way she treated her at all. Yeah, Jay. I have. I have. Uh, most of which stem from the fact that they're not funny. They're not funny. No. So that's what offends me most as a comedy writer is they're not funny. They do this stand up, and basically, Che is one of those stand ups where they're like, if you don't find me funny, you're very provincial. It's like, no, I like to laugh. Yeah. Which is what I like. So Miranda has that moment where she, you know, she's broken up with Che and she's dating this uh, new woman who she, uh, is the voice of a lot of Regency books that she sees on the audiobooks that she listens to and it's so sexy she meets her on the it's a woman who played diana trout on uh, um, Younger. uh miriam shore miriam, miriam shore. shore and so she meets her and she's very miriam shore like she's very she meets her at this reading and she's so sexy but in her real life she's, she's schlubby a <laughs> with a terrible apartment and cats and she's uh, miranda accidentally steps in the cat box and just everything but it reminded me of an episode in the first season where uh Carrie is dating um I'm forgetting everybody's name today justified Timothy Timothy Oliphant yes Ooh. and he's younger than her and and hot has a piercing in his tongue and kind of an idiot so it's the at night it's all sexy and whatever and she wakes up she realizes I'm 35 in a 20 somethings apartment that yeah. mattress on the floor laundry everywhere weird roommate and she's like oh that's right Right. To quote <laughs> the great Bridget Fonda, I don't have to be here. And she just yeah. out of there. Um, but watching, I was very uncomfortable with Miranda's sort of renaissance in the first season of the reboot because I was like, who is this? And then I realized she's being the person she didn't allow herself to be Yeah, in her 20s and 30s. And that made well, more sense to me. Yeah, I think a lot. She, Miranda got a lot of criticism. Um, and, you know, I people who would hate watch it online. And then, of course, I had to go read all of their opinions because mm. they, they are clearly very important in my life. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, a lot of the criticism about Miranda were coming from like 20 and 30 something year old women mm. who, who are wonderful. We were all there, you know, but I was looking. But but it's like, no. This is the time when a lot of women kind of go through a metamorphosis and they've been, you know, had their nose to the grindstone for 30 years. And all of a sudden they go, hey, you know, I don't have to keep doing it like this. I don't have to keep living like this, uh, you know, to my set ex expectations, to other people's expectations. I can do something different. So people were complaining that, well, Miranda would never do that. And I'm and I'm like, I may not have agreed with, you know, all of the choices Miranda made, but yeah, she would. Yeah, she would. It That is the absolute time to stop giving yes. all your F's. And, you know, she blew up her life. She was she blew up her life. And because she she's blew a it up. different person, I will say that I thought it was I wrote this. It was cheating for the writers to to understand Miranda's change. They had to make Steve pathetic. Yeah, and they had to had make issues. suddenly Steve, who is on Chicago Fire, plays a hot firefighter. So, OK, um, who they made him doddering and they made him bad at sex, which is one of the reasons that they got together in the first place, because he was like right. the hot bartender that she, you know, hooked up with. And he's a business owner. You know, what I mean, he's not this schlub. And, yeah, you can fall out of love with someone and feel differently about them. But they had to make him this like doddering old man with hearing aids yeah. and the actor does have hearing aids. And he's like, 
do you still want me? They're like, yeah. And this season, they've allowed Steve to be hot again, which yeah. I appreciate. Make With Steve the hot bag. again. With the yes. punching bag. Woohoo. Yeah. You know, and there's. I, I just at, woohooed. <laughs> exactly. At the end of the. She's blown up her life and she's apologized and she realizes that she. They have a child together who's an adult, but they only really discuss things if let's say about Brady or through their friends. And she comes to the place in Coney Island. He's opened this uh, little stand on Coney Island. And she says, I, I want to see where what we can be. And he goes, just friends, right? Because like this is quick, quick, quick. He's like, yeah. And because and he's not, Steve is a guy. He doesn't want to do that no more. He doesn't want to. He's done. He's, he's done. done. And he's done all, but they had to make it happen in the first season where it's like, well, Steve is weird. We don't like him anymore. It's okay for her to just go crazy. It's like, she can go crazy, but to pretend that she went crazy because of something he did or it wasn't his fault was absolutely not his fault and a lot of i think they were trying to sort of paint it that he had settled and she didn't want to so it was kind of steve's fault and i'm like no no it was not steve was being steve and did miranda ever make her 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 needs did she ever talk about it hey i'd like to do this not till the end not till the end so yeah. I, I, it's become much more realistic and it's become, I, well, the only real, I will say this as the widow of the group. Well, that's not true. Uh, producer Sam was as well, but as the widow of the group, who's a lady who's actually um, a member of the podcast, who's talking a lot. I will say that the Carrie thing of it, the widow of it all is the, the is this year's version of the unrealistic hey, we're going out every night. Because when most people are, are widowed, many of them are parents, like I was, and many of them now have one less income. Carrie's yeah. fantasy widowhood is that she is now a multimillionaire. This woman who could not figure out not only not to how to buy her apartment, she couldn't figure out like how to stop buying shoes, and she never used her oven. And now she not only owns several very expensive apartments but can just blow off to wherever whenever she wants to because money is an object and it's the hey if you don't have kids you can bid all the time in new york hey if you don't have either kids or any money woes what could you be as a widow of course she's grieving and they've done some really beautiful scenes about grief and about how it all comes back and she asks questions about was that relationship a mistake and i think people misunderstood when she goes was big a big mistake and people freaked out what i think she meant was the guy that she was now seeing, Aiden, was a guy she was dating in between dating Big, and she and Big started having an affair behind Aiden's back, mostly because they're both terrible and because they, <laughs> she's a commitment phobe. And so she blew it up. She's in a habit of just blowing up her life. So she blew it up. And so when she and Aiden get back together, he's super like, stop, stop smoking, wear a nicotine patch, do this, do that, because he doesn't trust her. Right. And he and why would he? So um she and Big get back together and there in that second terrible movie, she and Aiden kind of flirt in Abu Dhabi, but it never goes anywhere because she's married. So I think in her mind she's saying, if I hadn't cheated on Aiden, if I hadn't blown that part of my life up and we had gotten married or we'd moved in together or we whatever and there was no big, was this the life that I was supposed to have without the interruption of 25 years? And I, of course, am saying, of course not, because, you know, Aiden was a guy who had a cabin with no plumbing out in the the woods, and she hated it. 
and he had a dog she wasn't a super fan of and he didn't want to go out to dinner all the time and she did they would not have still been married if they got married they've been divorced within a year you know oh yeah oh yeah i don't think she i i took it and apparently a lot of people disagreed with me i don't think she was saying marrying big was a mistake i thought she was talking about the choices she made before that is big. what i thought that is what i know because she was clearly very happy with big for yes. however many years my math fails me um so people were going oh she's saying big was a mistake no that's not what she was saying i think she was saying the choices she made leading up to that was yes. that a mistake should i have committed to aiden yes, at that exactly. point in time and my thought was no you shouldn't have clearly because he was asking things of you that you could not give. Mm-hmm. And she always had one foot out of that relationship. Always. So Lynn, you remember at that time that everyone was like team big team Aiden. Right. What was your feeling? Again, I don't, because I wasn't a regular watcher of the show and I was just kind of going on what I knew I guess I was somewhere sort of ambivalent in the middle. I mean, Aiden seemed like the kind of guy that I would have liked, right? Down to earth, yes, homie, you know, whatever. But I made a table for her friend, a chair for her friend's wedding. Yeah, right. Yeah, I he was that. the ultimate good guy. Yeah, exactly. So I like that kind of thing because the thing I remember the most about Big was the whole. Um, uh, the way we were seen, right? Where your girl uh, is lovely, Hubble. Your girl is lovely, right? Um, when she sees uh. meets Big's <laughs> wife, right? And yeah, and your Natasha. Girl, your girl's lovely, and so to me, Big seemed like because that's what they just called him for so long, right? It was Mister Big before they Mr. Big, yeah. his name him. until the movie? His name was John Prescott. Right. So he he seemed to me again, because I did not watch the show, but my understanding is he was almost like this figure that almost really at some points didn't seem real. And I guess that was sort of the point, right? Is that he was- He was enigmatic. Exactly. He was was enigmatic. And I think, you know, based on what I knew, I would have gone for Aiden. But again, knowing what I know now, right? of him and him trying to change her and stuff is this whole thing now right in the new series where they spoiler alert where they get together he doesn't want to be at her apartment that she shared with big right because he had well it was it was her very first apartment it was it was her when you her single girl apartment because she sold the big penthouse and gone back to live in the single lower apartment to reclaim her, whatever. And that's the apartment that he had helped her buy and laid the floors and another thing. And then they broke up and it just represented a bunch of bad stuff to him. But it's also a real kind of like wussy move. It's like, come on, dude. Get over we're, yourself. We're in our 50s. Yeah. And we're in our 50s. Yeah. But, but also, too, wasn't there a thing with she? So she buys an apartment for them or a house for them. Yeah, right? it was a townhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And then he said- On Gramercy Park, which I've seen, I walked by it, the setting of it. I walk, it's like a couple months ago. It's just ridiculously beautiful, right, right on the park, key and everything. But So then he says to her, well, my son, I have to deal with my son. I'll see you in five years. Girl. Yeah. yeah. 
And let's not yeah. even be in contact. It's not even like it's a long distance relationship, right? He's like, no contact. I'll be back in five years. How did you ask somebody that? Well, first of all, he says you're buying this apartment for you, right? Yeah. And which is, by the way, when someone says that to you, I know that's like a, like, you know, the, in the very first episode, they, uh, Carrie's talking to this woman who has been on this date with the dude who played Craig Montgomery on As the World Turns. Um, wow. And for three weeks, uh, they're Scott Thompson. Scott Bryce. Scott Bryce, really. Scott Thompson's kids in the hall. Anyway, so they're two <laughs> different, different people. Actor. Yeah. They're a different actor. So um, where they get to know each other and then it's too much. And then suddenly the call to come to the mother's birthday is retracted and suddenly he goes through and never sees her again. It gets too real. So when Aiden is at Carrie's house that she bought and someone pointed out to me that a character who almost always runs her ideas by her friends doesn't no she does this all on her own with sema yeah. and she buys this ridiculously expensive place 15 million dollars i think oh easily easily you know? yeah. and she buys this place and when he says buy it for you and that's both like to make sure that she doesn't feel pressure because he said listen i don't want to be in your apartment your place would be too small for my kids or whatever if they came up this is part of a future but also it was my red flag like oh no this is the invitation to meet mom that's being retracted yeah yeah as soon as he said that i'm like this friend, friend you're, you're you're done you're done that's you know he's got one foot out because i knew the moment they brought brought back aiden i'm like i bet you he's gonna wind up hurting her this time mm -hmm. and some she people, cannot hurt him again we we would lose any affection we had for carrie and some people wonder done. if it was on purpose if he like and i don't think so i don't think that guy yeah. is that guy yeah, he doesn't have it in him no no it's more like and I did a whole story for the Baltimore Banner, um, and we'll link this on the page. Maybe we'll link it certainly when when we um, promote this. But about the thing, the concept of of waiting, particularly when you're you're a widow, so you know what it is to lose somebody. You know that life is very short, and that you're also in your fifties, widow or not. You're like five years at her age on the show puts her at sixty. Yeah. When and she's like, and she's once again being a different Carrie. She's like. Well, of course I can come visit or you can come visit me. And he's like, not going to work. And she's like, the weekends you don't have them. Nope. I need to be all in. And I'm, well, you don't want to hear the words, Lynn, that I said at the screen when this was happening. Because right. I'd be like, good for you if I'm still single in five years, which I won't be. Yeah. yeah you can call me if I still was, live here. Yeah. Now I realized. Now I'm not a parent, so I'll you know I'll put that out there. But I still understand that yes, he has to choose his child. Mm -hmm. The child is the is the is the top priority. Totally understand. But is and what I didn't understand is I know he's kind of going no contact. Is she supposed to wait for him till she's think, 60, 61 years old? Is she I supposed think to he wait? Thought she was, and I think she's clearly not going. Like there's a very subtle thing. She doesn't want to go. Well, see you, Mister. After all of that, when she says whatever happens whatever happens we this house was not a mistake and you and i were not a mistake and he goes what's gonna happen and he's doing this annoying thing very chipper aiden thing which irritating where he it's like like he's snapping his fingers and she goes what she goes see it was so fast you didn't even see it like five five years went like that I'm like five years went like nothing and yeah. so she and Seema wind up not in the hamptons but in greece 
on the beach drinking cosmic my, fir- my first thought was who's taking care of the cat oh i know she goes to the thing <laughs> where she adopts this little baby kitten oh that, so cute that che the whose name is shu yeah which i thought was c-h-o-u the french i, I thought it was shu because you know she's yeah, shoo, shoo. shoo, it's like yeah and shu but um that Che and the only good thing Che has ever done is working now at a shelter at a vet again and people bring in pets and so she says to Carol you want this I know you want this kitten and I want this kitten and the kitten is the cutest thing in the world so yeah I'm thinking who's taking the kitten once again because in this fantasy can Harry has no children so she can just up and go to Greece now when I'm you have a cat now (laughs) you have a cat now when I'm 60 my child will be going to college or wherever graduated from college not in my house no more so if i have the money if i have a sema friend who wants to go to greece and lynn i would like it to be you um because your child will be have been out of the house for a year and a half at that point well leslie when so we're 52 yes when your child is in when you're 60 yes that's eight years from now your your, your child will just be 18 that's what I'm saying. Your child okay. will have probably graduated the year before. Probably. Yeah. So we can go to so we can go to Greece. And we'll still be cute, you know, at that <laughs> point. We'll still have some things and we're bringing Nikki Sam tell her. <laughs> I just and assume. Yeah, and <laughs> your child yeah, and your child is already an adult. So <laughs> they can come too. They can come. They can come. Well, uh, this has been fun and I, I, I know that lynn and sam have you've had less to to say so i'm sorry for running away with uh this particular uh situation um all, all i have to say about and just like that i have issues i yelled at the tv a lot still love it still love it still love it's, it it's gotten I, better it's it gotten has better. gotten better i want more ltw yes lisa Todd wexley yes I, i'm thinking spinoff um, and I want more Naya. I want more Naya, and I'm hoping that Karen Pittman is able to be in it more. Yeah, I uh, love that she's working. I mean, that's fabulous because she's fabulous. But I'd like to see more Naya. I absolutely adore LTW. That's Ari Nicole I, Parker. Yes, yeah. Ari Nicole Parker from Baltimore. And by the way, Lynn, so we talked about the stand-ins for Hot Black Men. So at the in, in the last a couple of episodes, Naya runs into a guy played by Gary Dordan, who is oh. also a shorthand for hot black man. And then he winds up being the chef at um, Carrie's feral party to her place. She should never have sold. And he and, and Naya get together. Um, Why didn't so she just sublet it to Lizette? Just su- Lizette is this little young girl that lives downstairs. And, you know, in the very obvious writing category, she goes, oh, no, my um, people are coming back from wherever and they're selling it. And I'll never be able to afford it. The raising the rent, whatever. And Carrie's like, she's like, who would ever leave this place? And Carrie's like, hmm, a light bulb idea. And yeah, so she, she was almost the day. De- what, what's the term? The deus ex, ex machina? Yes. It's that, that term when, uh, you know, for those who are not familiar and I can't even pronounce it, but that, you know, in, in Greek tragedies. You yes. think, how is this going to be resolved? And this the answer comes from on high. It, on it literally is machine of the gods. It is the thing yes. that just like drops down. It's like, and it like fixes the, everything. And it fixes yeah. everything. So she sells this girl. How does she, she's a jewelry designer. How could she afford that place at any price? 
Yeah, I guess I guess supposedly she's a former model and doing very well as a jewelry designer. Yeah, but still, uh, Carrie should have just sublet it. I can't believe she let it go either. No, it's it's just once again, this is what happens when you're older. You're watching this show, uh, you know, people who bought real estate going, this is just ridiculous in this economy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hold on to that, friend. Hold, Hold on, on to, to that. that. Anyway, so as we come to the end of our, our discussion, um, do you still can do you consider or did you consider sex in the city and, and just like that a guilty pleasure? And if you did, do you still? I would say it's not a guilty pleasure at all. I awesome. unabashedly love it. Uh, I have issues, but how boring would a show be if you agreed with everything the characters did and said? Absolutely how dull true. would that be? Absolutely and true. I think some of the best shows, I, I, I yell at other shows, but that's because it's like, if they're talking about teaching, I'll go, that's not how teaching works. That's not how schools work, or right. that's not how things work. But uh, it, it, on Sex in the City and in Just Like That, I unabashedly love it without any shame or reservation, uh, despite issues I have with it. Amazing. That's so great. So thank you guys so much. Jennifer, where can people find you? Uh, well, generally hiding under my couch. Uh, no, yeah. just kidding. <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram, uh, jennifer.inglis.writes. Uh, you could find my books on Amazon.com, Girls Who Wear Glasses, and Enchanting Sarah Greenberg. And you can also find me on Threads, because that's a thing now, apparently. Uh, and I, I keep think forgetting that one. Yeah, I'm weaning myself off Twitter. So, uh, And I do have a Facebook page. I don't know what the handle is. I have completely forgotten, but I'm mostly active on Google her. And it, Google her. Yeah. You can yeah. Google me. My books are available just about everywhere books are sold. Please yeah. buy one. I will Please buy one. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. I would I would say anybody who's listening, uh, support an indie author. Support an indie author. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being here, Jennifer. Thank you, producer Sam. Thank you, Lenny Lynn. Um, and as we always say, keep it easy, keep it breezy, keep it cheesy. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.